glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me if you would, please. We'll read three verses in Genesis 31. 21 years have passed, seven years for Rachel, seven years uh, for Leah, then for Rachel, then, if I'm not mistaken, seven more years to obtain cattle, and uh, he's, Jacob's been working for Laban, so we're 21 years removed from where we were last week in Genesis 28. We begin reading verse 1, Genesis 31, and he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and that which was our father's hath he gotten uh, and of that which was our fathers hath he gotten all this glory. Excuse me just a moment. Verse 2. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, listen closely to this instruction, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to remind us of what we read Last week in Genesis 28, in verses 13 through 15, the Bible says, And behold, the Lord stood above it, talking about the ladder from earth to heaven. And the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold... I am with thee, and I will keep thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Now let's just pause and think about that. Is this promise very clear and very uh, precise and definite? This is a definite promise from God. God's not saying, I might do this, uh, maybe this will happen. He's telling Jacob, this is what I'm going to do with you. This is what I'm going to do for you. May I say this? When we, through Jesus Christ, that's how we gain access to God. Just like that ladder, open the heavens to Jacob. When we come to faith in Christ, it opens to us a relationship between us and God. God has a plan for our lives to use us in his service, uh, to, to, to work us into his eternal plan, and to accomplish in us a transformation uh, and, and to use us for an eternal purpose. So, so many similarities between the, the covenant transferred to Jacob and the covenant we have that we've been grafted into through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's so many similarities there. So that's the promise God made to him. Uh, when you look in the Bible, what happened to you when you got saved? The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Is that a hypothesis or is that a fact? It's a fact. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Uh, the Bible tells us in uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He says that Jesus Christ has made unto us righteousness and sanctification and wisdom and all these things. There's so many promises that upon salvation we have access to. We've been given an eternal home. And so we hear all of that, but many times our response is, if this is true, I'll serve God. Notice Jacob's response to the promise of God, Genesis 28, verses 20 through 22. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God, I've highlighted that here, if God will be with me, wait a minute, didn't God say I will be with thee? But he says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. We just read in Genesis 31, he's saying, Jacob, it's time for you to go back to your father's house and I will be with thee. So Jacob had made the vow, if God will be with me and bring me again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord, Jehovah God, be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I think you can find, if you were to read the chronology between Genesis 28 and Genesis 31, that Jacob began to reap what he had sown to a great degree. He moves into uh, Paden Aram, meets a young lady named Rachel. It's her, his uncle's daughter. He wants to marry Rachel. He asks, can I marry Rachel? Problem is she's the second born and her older sister's not married yet. So Jacob immediately gets tricked. He says, I'm willing to marry her. And the dad says, okay, work for me seven years, then you can marry her. Seven years go by. He marries her, but it's not her. It's Leah. He gets tricked by 
Laban to marry Leah. And so he loves Rachel so much, he says, I'll marry two wives. Laban says, fine, work seven more years and you can have, you can have Rachel too. Fourteen years. Some people like to suggest that, well, it was just another week. No, the week there is referencing a seven-year period of time, if you read in your Bible. Seven more years, he marries Rachel. That's 14. He's about ready to go, and Laban pulls some some things on the wages and says, well, how are we going to, I don't want you to work for me for nothing. And so they agree that the striped and the speckled cattle will be Jacob's. Every time a striped or speckled were born, Laban would steal it and take it away. So that Jacob's wages, what Laban is doing, and you can see this very clearly in the context of Scripture, states it, is he is prolonging Jacob's time there to get as much out of him as he can. And there's typology and there's shadow and picture in all of this and that. When God God had made a covenant with Jacob, and a, a, a covenant that was conditioned solely on faith, God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. He didn't, a covenant is both sides keep their parts, not a contract. It's a covenant. God said, this is what I'm going to do for you. Da- Jacob, you desire the birthright. Esau despised that. This is, he is transferring to him the promise of the birthright. Jacob's not sure, is God really going to do this for me or not? And so here's what happens. I believe Jacob has 21 years of living according to his own wisdom and reasoning. I want that girl. He saw Rachel. She's beautiful. He he wants others to operate on the same principles he had. We can go around uh, established principle and and bypass this firstborn girl and go directly to the second. God's teaching him. No, that's. You remember how Jacob tried to get the birthright? God's going to break him of that conniving, cheating way. May I say this? Once God saves us, He'll save you as you are, but He will not leave you as He found you. And that's what we're seeing here in Jacob's life. That, that ladder from heaven is a picture of God establishing relationship and Jacob establishing relationship with God. And I believe that was entered into when Jacob, by faith, desired the birthright. He went about getting it the wrong way. But God is a God of righteousness and holiness and justice, and he's not going to leave Jacob as he is. And remember, Jacob vowed a vow. Now, it's better not to vow a vow than to vow and not keep it. And he said, God, if you will do what you said, you, the Lord, will be my God. That we, we ended last week by saying, that is a statement of saying, I will submit to your authority and you will govern my life entirely. Now, God's going to hold him to that, bring him back to that. And all this message in the context of this. Let me give you some New Testament verses. Forgive me for a bit of rambling, but all that in this context. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, For by grace... Are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What was it about Jacob? We we dealt with this last week. What was it about Jacob that made God say, you know what, I'm going to open the heavens, and this ladder that's a picture of Christ, the mediator between God and men, I'm going to establish a personal relationship with Jacob. What was it about Jacob that made him such an appealing person for God? Nothing. He was willing by faith to receive God's promises. He was willing by faith to receive, believe God concerning the eternal. And so then God communicated with him by faith. It was not Jacob's merit that made him appealing. It was God's love and kindness. And the only thing Jacob did was respond to God in faith instead of unbelief like Esau. And uh, we don't credit Jacob. That doesn't make Jacob meritorious. You can't get anything from God other than through faith. And so then uh, we, we see that that's salvation. For by grace you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what's verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. How many of you think trying to bypass a, 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 I suppose we'd call it a traditional law and get what the, the girl you want to marry by bypassing the way things ought to be done is really a good work? Do you think Jacob was doing good works with Laban? How many would say it was a good work to, to, to trick Esau out of the birthright? How many think it was a good work to deceive his dad and get the blessing? How many think it was a good work to run for your life in fear and then say, if God, you keep your word? Jacob's life is not characterized by good works. Nonetheless, he has an established relationship with God. Would we agree? So he goes into work for Laban. It's still not established by good works, yet God is still keeping his end of the bargain. God told Jacob, he made a definitive promise that I will bless you and I will protect you and I will give to you all of this land. God had made a promise and the whole while Jacob is at Laban's. You know what God was doing to Jacob? In spite of Jacob, God was blessing him. 
Now, he had turmoil in his home that he created. But you know what? When Laban would steal the striped and speckled cattle, God appeared to Jacob in a dream, and he told him how to water them and where to feed them. And it was just a miracle on how to peel these these green rods and put them in front of the cattle, and they would conceive speckled and straked. And you know what? Jacob got immensely wealthy while working for Laban. And Laban the entire time trying to rob him and cheat him. You know what, you know what God was dealing with Jacob about? I'm doing what I promised. I'm doing what I promised. I promised that I would preserve you. I promised that I would that I would bless you. I promised that I would protect you. I promised that I would make things increase and give you this land. God is proving to Jacob that in spite of Jacob, God's still blessing him. And when God saved you, you were not characterized by good works. How many of you would say, since God saved me, since I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and that gave me access to heaven through him, my ladder to heaven is Jesus Christ that ever since then I have conducted myself in a way that God only could bless me. Meaning, God has continued to work in my life and direct me and lead me because I have such stellar character and I'm such an upright individual that I know the reason I'm still saved today is because I have been worthy of keeping it. We're like Jacob. Jacob had the world and the flesh all over him. Yet God was keeping his covenant, was he not? It's truth. The Bible says, again, therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. At Bethel in Genesis 28, there was an establishment between Jehovah God and Jacob that you have a unique relationship to me. The birthright is passed on you. It's a picture of the new birth. And God at that day began a work in Jacob's life that never ended. I believe even prior to that, at the, at the, when he got the birthright from Esau, God began a work in him, and so these years he's here. So I'll give you Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We are uh, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That tells us, the Bible says, which God hath before ordained, we should walk in them. You know what? Before God appeared to Jacob in Bethel in Genesis 28, he already had a plan for how he wanted to transform Jacob and the kind of man he wanted to make Jacob into and how he wanted to use him. But it began with God making him some definitive promises and establishing a relationship between he and him, again, to that latter, a picture of Christ. Same with us. Romans eight twenty eight and 29 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. Before you got saved, God had a plan that what he would do with you once you got saved. Some like to take that verse and say, God foreordained to save you. So he saved you without your choice. That's not what that verse says. He predestinated you to be conformed to the image of his son. Meaning, if you're saved, God before has already predestinated what he wants you to be conformed to. And guess what? If he has saved you today, right now, on March the 20th, 2022, he is working in your life as a person that he has established covenant with to conform you to Jesus Christ. Do you think that Jacob understood that Laban the liar was part of God's purpose for changing Jacob the liar? Now, God was not telling Laban to lie. God doesn't tell people to sin, but he would use that man in Jacob's life to change him. And so here Jacob is having to run. Help us here this morning while we just get our mind clear on this this story. Why did Jacob run to Padanaram in the first place? And we can say it was to go find a wife, but he was running from his brother Esau. That's how God deals with it in Genesis 35. I appeared to you in Bethel when you were running from your brother. (laughs) What is the ruling component in Jacob's life when he gets to Bethel? Fear. Fear. And you see that being a controlling factor in much of his life. You'll see it this morning in this message. But what's going to happen is 21 years after Bethel, God's going to give him a very clear commandment. The commands of God are the tests of our faith. The commands of God are the tests of our faith. God has promised, remember, that he would be with Jacob, that his seed would be as the dust of the earth, and spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. So he's repeating the promise to Jacob he'd given to Abraham and to Isaac that I'm going to make of you a great nation. Your, your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven, the sand of the sea. It's hard for dead people to have children now, isn't it? Yet Jacob lived constantly in fear of death, lived constantly in fear of bad things happening to him. Now, I've got a question. If God's promised to make him abundantly uh, fruitful, promised to give him all this land, promised to be with him, promised to protect him, why is Jacob afraid? 
because he's not resting in the promise of God. And the commandments of God are the test of our faith. So God gives him a commandment in Genesis 31, and this is the first point of our outline if you're taking notes. He gives Jacob a, a commandment, and it's clear. The commandment is clear, verse 3. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Now, let's just step into Jacob's shoes. He left the land of his fathers running from Esau, correct? Threatened with, with murder. He's running, being threatened with death. Now God says, go back. If you're Jacob and God very clearly, the same God that told you how to multiply your cattle tells you go back to the land of your fathers and not just to the land of thy fathers, I want you to go back to your kindred. Meaning, go back to your dad, Isaac. Go back to your family. If you're Jacob, what would be the one hindering component in this commandment? Esau. Esau is a type of the flesh, by the way. He's a picture of the flesh. I believe Laban is a picture of the world. Jacob, as a, is a, 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 having entered into covenant with God, has now gone out into the world, and the world is treating him like the world behaves, and God is changing him from being a worldling to being a child of God. But he gives him a commandment. I want you to return. The commandment is clear. God works in our life in very similar fashion. He saved us by grace through faith. But remember, we are saved unto good works. Meaning, now that I've saved you, I want you to obey me. If you want to understand the difference between law and grace, law says this, obey me perfectly and I can bless you and give you life. If you disobey disobey me, you die. Grace works this way. I have given you life. Now obey me. There's a vast difference. One says, you must work to live. The other one says, you're living, go work. (laughs) We receive eternal life as a gift from God, and out of that we work and serve the Lord. Jacob has been given a promise. I will keep thee, I will be with thee, I will prosper you, I will bless you, I will multiply you, give you these lands. Now he says, I'm going to test whether or not you believe what I promised you. Go back. Meaning, I'm going to force you. My word is going to force you to face what you fear the most. No one wanted Jacob dead more than Esau. Esau had been robbed of Jacob in Esau's mind, although Esau had robbed himself. And just like us, when you're born again, there is, there is two natures to deal with. You, we all have an Esau to deal with that despises the new nature birthed inside of us. You say, are Christians schizophrenic? Well, for the most part, yes. <laughs> We have two people. You have that old Esau living inside of you saying, I want my way. I want. I don't care about spiritual things. I just want what I can see, feel, touch, and experience in my flesh. But you have a new man that appreciates Jehovah God and his promises. And we have to be taught how not to live under the influence of Esau and how not to live under the influence of Laban. Jacob had been living under both since he came to faith in Jehovah God. He's running out of fear of Esau and he's constantly trying to manipulate circumstances under the manipulation of Laban and God wants him to learn to live under the influence of God. And if you're saved this morning, the Bible says, this I say then, Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God is trying to teach Jacob not only how to have life by faith, but how to live by faith. And if we're saved this morning, we are saved unto a life of faith. We were saved from a life of works, a a life of human fleshly reasoning, and we're to live by faith. And God will give us commandments to test, do we really believe that we're going to have an eternity in heaven? Because what will happen is we'll have to decide, am I going to live for heaven or am I going to live for earth? Am I going to live for the judgment seat or am I going to live for today? Jacob's got to make a decision. God has clearly told me, return to the place where you were last threatened with murder. Go back. You go back to the land of your kindred, uh, to to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred. But here's what God says, and I will be with thee. So there's clarity in the commandment, but there's a consolation in it. This is, by the way, always what God says when he's trying to quell our fears. He says to Joshua, be strong and of a good courage and uh, fear not, be not dismayed. Then he says, for I am with thee. So he says in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, he tells him be strong and of a good courage. And he says, because I am with thee. He tells us repeatedly, Hebrews 13, 5 uh, and, and 6 and 7, he says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, 
I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So here's Jacob having lived his life entirely out of fear of Esau, fear of Laban, and God is teaching him, no, you don't live out of fear of men, you live by faith in me. Here's what I want you to do. You go back to your brother, you go back to the land of your fathers, go back to your kindred, but I will be with thee. I won't leave you. Now, does that sound familiar? Isn't that what God told him in Genesis 28? I will be with thee. Now, here's the truth of it. Uh, he, he could have lived those 21 years trusting and resting in that promise. He could have known Laban's no threat to me. God's, God's greater than Laban. Jacob knew the promise. He wasn't quite resting on it. You and I may have believed a promise, but that's not the same as resting on it. But he has a commandment. And the commandment is clear. There's consolation in the commandment. I will be with thee, but the concern in the command, if you're going to go back to Esau, two things really are concerning. Every time Jacob has tried to get a wife and leave Laban, what has Laban done? He said, no, no, I want you to stay. And he's found a way to trick him into staying. You think Jacob knows Laban's just going to let him go easily? No way. Every time you try to live a life separate from the world, you know what the world says? Uh-uh, you have to live our way. Every time you say, I'm just going to do what God wants me to do, the world says, not so fast. Not so fast. You have to live your life our way. Laban's a type of the world. Every time you say, you know what? I'm just going to believe the promises of God. I'm going to live where he wants me to live, do what he wants me to do. And that world says, wait, we still have more use for you. See, the world wants to use you and spit you out because of who the God of this world is. So you know where Jacob's at? Which fear do I live with? The fear of Laban or the fear of Esau? So far, the fear of Laban's been a little bit less. At least Laban wants him to live. If he lives, he's productive at Laban's place. If he goes back to Esau, Esau, kill him. But God says, neither. I'm with you. You do what I say. You see, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Jacob has a clear commandment. There's clarity in the commandment. There's a consolation in it. I will be with you, but there's a concern. If I go, Laban will be unhappy. If I go, Esau is going to be really unhappy. Nevertheless, we find not only Jacob's commandment, but look at his compliance. Verse 4, And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock and said unto them, I see your father's countenance that is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. Oh, he recognizes God told him the truth. He hath been with me. And you know that with all my power I have served your father. And he goes on to explain to his wives why they're leaving and what they're going to do. Skip on down to verse 17 of Genesis 31, if you would. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Pedan Aram, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. He very clearly understood where he was supposed to go, and that's where he's going. Don't lose this, because it's part of this message. He's headed to fulfill obedience to God. Verse 19, And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's, and you can read on the rest of the story at another point in time. I wanted you to see two things about Jacob's compliance. It was immediate. He didn't wait. At this point, God says, you go. He had enough faith in God's promise to be with him. He said, I'm going to do it. I, in spite of my fear of Laban, in spite of my fear of Esau, I'm going to obey God. Fed and preaching to the young people on Friday night, and I believe this is so true. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is doing what's right in the presence of fear. We know, based on the following chapters, chapter 32 and 33 and 34, Jacob had great fear of his brother Esau. But he's going to set forward in obedience anyway. When is the best time to start obeying God? Now. Never tomorrow. Now. One of the greatest sins known to mankind is procrastination. It does so much damage to us. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know what James 4.17 is describing there? Procrastination. I have a clear conscience. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to wait to do it. Jacob's compliance, we can commend him here. It was immediate and it was intentional. He knew exactly what God's command meant. It wasn't go generally back to the land of Canaan. The Bible says he was going back to Isaac, his father, in the land of Canaan, meaning he's going to run into Esau somewhere. You know what? May I just say this by way of application? Once God saved you, the way to deal with your flesh is not running from it. It's confronting it with God's word. 
Your flesh lusts after sinful things. And you know what? We often are afraid. Our, our own flesh puts fear in us. I'm afraid I'm going to yield to temptation. I'm afraid of this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And God says in the life of Jacob, I want you now to, time has come. You're going to go back to, to the land of your fathers and to your kindred. And Jacob immediately, intentionally complies. Number three, there's conflict though. And we don't have time to read all this, but in chapter 32, there's a chronology laid out. Uh, the Bible, in chapter 32, we find Jacob recognizing the blessings of God. Again, we won't have time to read all this. He recognizes God's blessings in his life. He's wealthy. He can look and see. The God who spoke to me at Bethel told the truth. I have, by this time, he's got 12 boys. 11 boys, excuse me. Benjamin's not born yet. He has 11 boys. He has a daughter. 12 children. So he's got a good start on a nation. <laughs> He's got, God is blessing Jacob. He has given him children. He has multiplied his flocks in spite of all that Laban did. So in chapter 32, Jacob recognizes the blessing of God, prepares to meet Esau, but then he has that wrestling match with an angel. And we, again, we have time to go into all of that, but that's what takes place in chapter 32. What you find in chapter 32 and chapter 33 is one conflict after another. Jacob immediately says, all right, I'm going to obey God. And he no sooner begins to obey God and an angel wrestles with him. How many of you know wrestling with an angel is conflict? Meaning Jacob is wrestling with God. There are things that God has said and there are things that God, Jacob says in that wrestling match, I won't let you go till you bless me. And God touches his thigh and cripples him for the rest of his life. But God blessed him. So he wrestles. There's conflict with an angel. And then he has to, he has to be confronted with his brother Esau. And we find that in Jacob 33, uh, Genesis 33, 1 through 16. Jacob meets Esau and all goes well. So he meets an angel. An angel wrestles him in the middle of the night. Then after the angel, he meets Esau. And what he feared, the dread he had of Esau killing him. No, Esau blessed him. You know what Jacob's figuring out? God keeps his word. But I'll say this. He's also figuring this out. When you set forward to obey God, you can expect conflict. I missed one. When he left, you know in Genesis 32, when he left, uh, in chapter 32, chapter 31 rather, the first conflict he faced was Laban. Laban chased him down. Jacob's wife stole some of her daddy's gods. Laban chased him down and says, not so fast. You're taking my daughters. You're taking my grandchildren. Where do you think you're going? All I want you to see in this, in chapter, the end of 31, all of 32, in chapter 33, it's one difficult situation after another. Now, how many of you can relate us a little bit to this? You realize God, through Jesus Christ, has established a relationship with you. You've trusted Him for eternal life upon the promise of it in His Word. He's promised that to you. And you're living in the world, and what you would like is, how, why can't I just go marry me a wife, raise a family, and be left alone? Huh? Wasn't that easy for Jacob, was it? <laughs> what a messed up family and messed up situation. And God has a plan and a purpose He is implementing in His life. He says, all right, Jacob, now go back. And the moment Jacob makes a decision of faith, Laban confronts him. An angel confronts him. Esau confronts him. The spiritual life can feel like I'm in conflict with everybody. I'm in conflict with God. I'm not, I'm not what he wants me to be. Could we agree Jacob wasn't what God wanted him to be? That's why an angel's wrestling with him. I'm in conflict with the world. Laban didn't want to let him go. I'm in conflict with my own flesh, Esau. Is there a time where the spiritual Christian life just feels like I'm in conflict with everybody. There's truth in that. But you know what? His conflict would come to some conclusion when he would realize I'm not a servant to Esau and I'm not a servant to Laban. I'm a servant to God. That's called single-mindedness. Last year, our entire theme all year long was one thing. One thing. You know why? To deal with the subject of double-mindedness. We must be single-minded. We must have one goal, and that is serving and obeying our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not consoling our fleshly appetites. It's not consoling the demands of a, of a wicked world that wants to use everyone and everything for its own advancement. Our job is to please our Savior, the one who came down from heaven so that He could, could forgive us and save us and give us an eternal home. That's who we're to live for. And Jacob wasn't there yet. That's why this great conflict. And upon this clear commandment, upon the consolation in the commandment, you know what? When Laban was conflicting with Jacob, who was with him? The Lord was with him. 
We might say, well, if the Lord was with him, there shouldn't have been any conflict. No, no, no. The presence of the Lord does not mean absence of conflict. It means grace to overcome the conflict and do what's right. After he dealt with Laban, you know what Jacob did? He went on to obey. And after that, he wrestled with the angel. He met Esau like this. Esau might have said, what happened to you? I had a meeting with the Lord. And I'll never walk the same again. And I say there's a great deal of truth in that statement. When you have wrestled with God, you'll never walk the same again. It'll change your entire walk. You'll be identified and marked forever as having been touched by God. Does God cripple people? Well, not always, but that's how God had to, that's what God had to do to Jacob in order to bless him. He had to give him a weakness so he could have his strength. Make sense? Sometimes God has to let us be crippled so that he can help us. So we'll have to depend on him and not on ourselves. And so then Jacob's conflict, we see his commandment, go back to the land of your fathers and, and to your kindred. There was clarity in that command, but consolation, but also a concern. Jacob's compliance, it was immediate, it was intentional. He immediately set out to obey, knowing exactly what God told him to do. He faced conflict, Laban and the angel and the Esau, but the resolution with each conflict, you realize each one was resolved. God brought him through the conflict with Laban and kept him on course to go back to the land of his kindred. He brought him through the conflict with, with, uh, with the angel. Yeah, he comes out with a limp, but he's still capable and more trusting of God than ever before. Then he runs into the conflict with Esau. Esau hugs his neck. It was nothing like he feared it would be. Jacob, is, he succeeded, has he not? Many times after conflict is our greatest danger. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Go with me to Genesis 33 now, if you would. We come to a fourth point. You've heard me say much about this, and I believe God wants this church to hear about this truth at this time. We found Jacob's commandment, Jacob's compliance, Jacob's conflict, but now we're going to find Jacob's complacency. I'll say this, and I believe it. I don't know of anything more spiritually dangerous than this. It's what Jesus calls lukewarmness in Revelation chapter 3. You see, prior to this, Jacob is hot for God. Would you say when he's wrestling the angel, he's on fire for the Lord? Why? Because he's endeavoring to do what God told him. Would you say when he confronted Esau, oh, he has fear, but his faith in God is overcoming his fear. In spite of the fear of my brother, I'm going to do what God told me. And in spite of an angel wrestling with me, in fact, because of the angel, I'm going to be able to do what God told me. And in spite of Laban trying to stop me, I'm going to trust God that he is with me and that his way for me is right. He is believing what God promised him at Bethel. But this trip isn't complete until he's where? Where is Jacob's final destination according to the word of God? In the land of his kindred, in the land of his fathers, with his kindred. He's almost there. He's that close to fulfilling all that God told him to do. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 33, verse 16, So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. Esau's gone. He's no longer with his kindred. Verse 17, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him an house. Don't, 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 let's not run by that too fast. How many houses did Abraham ever build? How many houses did Isaac build? Now, Jacob did have a kinsman who built a house somewhere one time. It was a distant relative by the name of Lot. Lot built a house in a city called Sodom. You know, there's nothing wrong with a house. That's not the indictment of Scripture. But for these men, God called them to be strangers and pilgrims, sojourners. The house speaks of permanence. Jacob finally found him a place on earth where he felt he could settle in and settle down and say, this is home. Now, is it wrong necessarily to build a house? No, but how do you know that Succoth is not where Isaac lived? God didn't say, Jacob, go to Succoth and build you a house. He said, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred. Meaning Jacob has fulfilled the will of God at about 90%. He's been doing right. His life is clearly changing. He's changing the way he conducts himself. But he gets to Succoth, and I don't know what it was about Succoth that appealed to him. You know what I think perhaps? The conflict had subsided, and he's going, oh, let's settle in. Oh, how dangerous the calm behind the storm can be. And here he is, we find him more endangered by his complacency than by his conflict. Let's read on, Genesis 33, verse 17. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house 
and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem. Shalem means peace. A city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. So now he's back in the tent, moving again. But he did build a house there for a time and booths. Verse 19. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. And Dinah, verse 30, chapter 34, verse 1, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they came. They were come. Uh, here's what happens. In his complacency, Jacob begins to look for a permanent residence. His, his mentality has changed. When he left to obey God, he's on the move. I am pursuing the will of God. I know God's will is for me to be here. Here's where I'm at. But here's where I'm supposed to be. You ever, you ever God show you in his word? Your character is here. You're, you're still slothful and you need to be diligent. You're still deceitful and you need to be honest. And you say, you know what? I am going to move toward God's will in my life. I'm going to get in the Word of God. I'm going to find promises and I'm going to find commandments and I'm going to find instructions. And I'm ever changing my conduct to conform to what I know to be God's will. And you fight some battles and you win some battles and you trust God and you come out beat up and limping a little bit. But you say, you know what? I'm moving toward God's will. But there comes a point where as Christians we relax our guard. We say, you know what, I kind of like the way my life is now. I'm not dealing with an Esau. I'm not wrestling an angel. Laban's behind me. I think it's time to settle in. The Bible says you and I are strangers and pilgrims. Jacob began to get that old... He ran into Esau long enough for Esau to rub off on him. He is more valuing his own comfort more than fulfilling God's revealed word. This is a nice place to build a house and build some booths and let's just settle in right here. And so we find Jacob's permanence, verse 17, his peace in verses 18 and 19. May I say this? He is going through all the motions of a worshiper of God. Is he not? He builds an altar. He names it El Elohi Israel, the God of Israel, Jehovah of Israel. He has a good name for his altar. He is... Meaning this, stopping in Shechem did not mean he stopped worshiping God, at least in form. He's still building altars. But i got a question. Let's just be real, very practical. Is he where God told him to be? He's not. And if you and I are content to stay where God has not told us to be, we'll be lukewarm. Now, I want you to see the fruit of his lukewarmness. You see, you're being hard on Jacob. No, I think this is exactly what we see in the Word of God. In his complacency, there's permanence. He has an attitude of permanence. He's building booths. He's building a house. Even when he built a tent, he bought the land his tent was on. He bought it. I want to stay here. I'm not planning on moving. May I say it? You see somebody that's planning to stay, you might say, Jacob, wait a minute. You left, and when we left, you said we were going to go to Isaac. When are we going to do that? Not today. I like where we're at too well. I'm awful happy where I'm at right now. Shalem is nice. It's a city of peace. The people of Shechem are nice. Look how nice they are. Oh, yeah, nice enough they defiled his daughter. Jacob's little jaunt in Shechem cost a great deal. Uh, We see his permanence, his peace. If we looked at him by perception, by all appearances, he's doing okay. As I said, he hasn't abandoned the true worship of God or even forgotten who the Lord is. He knows the name of the Lord. He seems to be in the will of God, and to a point, he is. Let Let me explain it this way. Is he in the land of his fathers? He is. Is he with his kindred? He's not. More is said many times by what we are not doing than what we are. If I'm not actively pursuing what I know to be God's will today, I'm in spiritual danger. Jacob knew where he was supposed to be, but he stopped short and said, instead, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to quit. You say, what's it look like for me? I've made a number of decisions of faith in my life. I've come to faith in Jesus Christ and therefore have an established relationship with God through that ladder to heaven, Jesus Christ. I've believed God enough in my life to take steps of obedience. But I'm tired of conflict and I'm tired of fighting 
and I just want to settle in and ha- be happy in this life. I just want to live like other people. You know what? He's not. He is, he is in the will of God to a point, but out of the will of God at a point. And it's important for us to do justice and judgment in our own minds and say, am I there? When was the last time I said, this is what I'm going to do because I know I'm not where God wants me to be. My attitude is not where God wants it to be. Oh, it's changed. Here's what we can say. If you said, Jacob, are you different than you used to be? What would you have to say? Oh, yes, I am so different than I used to be. I am a transformed creature, and it's evident in my life. I don't live at Laban's anymore. I'm not scared of Esau anymore. I am, I am at peace with God. I'm a different man. But are you actively right now stepping toward what you know is God's will in your life? No, I'm buying ground and building houses. I am getting myself locked into earth, things here. The carnal mentality. But here's what I'm saying. We're talking about somebody who's been, if you want to compare it to somebody today, somebody who's been saved a long time. Someone that knows they're saved. Someone that has the assurance of the promises of God in their life. Someone that has seen God do things on their behalf. But he grows complacent. And then we find what happens is out of that, there's a price to pay. Genesis chapter 34, we just read the first part. Dinah ends up going out to spend some time with the daughters of the land. Well, they're idolatrous women. And this young man finds her, and the sin of fornication is committed, and he wants to marry her. Jacob's brothers are angry enough, if you know the rest of the story, they tricked the men of the city. I don't know where they learned tricking people from. They tricked the men of the city into thinking that they will give her to him to marry, which God strictly forbade. Marrying strangers who worshipped idols was strictly forbidden to the nation of Israel. That's why he needed to get back to the land of his fathers and his kindred. And so then it was strictly forbidden, but Jacob was compliant with that. He was okay. He was going to go along with it, but not the sons. They tricked him and said, no, if you circumcise all the men of the city, then we'll let you marry our sister. Meaning you act like you worship the God we do. We know you don't worship him, but act like you do. Put on the signs and symbols of our religion and we'll get along with you. These weren't converted men. Just act like you're a Christian and then we'll marry off our daughter to you. Act like you're a Christian, we'll marry off our son. So you see what Shechem wanted was the same thing Laban wanted. We want this man here that God is blessing so we can use him. You can read the text, Genesis 34. They were not interested in their God. They were not interested in Jacob's God. None of that. What they said is if these people stay in us and we intermarry, what will happen is we'll be successful. And Jacob's okay with that. But the son said, what we'll do, we don't want, that guy defiled our daughter, he's got to pay. They took on the role of God. We're going we're gonna to take vengeance on him. So when all the men were recovering from their operation, the two men went into the city and slaughtered the entire city. And it's called the city of peace. Do you think in, P, in Shalem, Jacob had peace? Christian, please don't miss me this morning. When you and I get lukewarm on God, we do so for peace and we don't find it. Lukewarmness only creates corruption. Corruption. You have to, you know, from a practical standpoint, how do you kill germs in water? Boil it or freeze it? Right? You, tepid water. You know what tepid water does? It, it, it breeds corruption. Tepid water breeds corruption. Germs grow by multitude. You know what? Jacob said, you know what? I'm not exactly where God wanted me to be, but look how far I've come. And by staying, he ended up, by, not by what he was, what was Jacob doing wrong? Well, there's some things wrong, but it's what he wasn't doing that opened him to the wrong. What is it? May I get very practical. What is it in your life that the word of God has made clear, this is where I want you to be? Maybe it is, I want you to, I want you to open your mouth and be a witness. I want you to, I want you to invest yourself in a prayer life. I want you to take time to commune with me. I I want you to be more serious about your prayer life. I I want you to forgive that person that hurt you and harmed you. And where it is that we say, I know where God wants me to be. I know it. How many years have we known it? How long have we tarried neglecting to finish obedience in our lives? You with me this morning? It's a dangerous place to be. He stopped in Shechem. And out of that, his daughter lost her purity. His sons gave him a name that stank in the earth by being conniving murderers. Now, Jacob, after chapter 34, after the slaughter of Shechem and after all of that took place, 
Verse 30, the Bible says, And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Uh Uh-oh, what's revived in Jacob? He hadn't been living under this influence in a while. Fear. And they said, Should he deal with our sister as within Harlot? Chapter 35. Now God's going to speak again. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Jacob, you've still got in you what you had when you left, and I want to bring you home without it. Hmm? And he says, uh, When you fled from Esau thy brother, verse 2, Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean. And change your garments. Whoa, hold on a second. What did Jacob know was present in his home? Idols and uncleanness. You know what? You know what living in a complacent place will allow us to do? We can become complacent towards sin. There were idols in his home. Why now does he say get rid of them? Because God's saying, I want you coming close to me. You see, getting close to God will clean up your life. There are certain things you and I know God is not okay with. We know it. And it may, you know what? I don't think Jacob had idols. He wasn't worshiping, but he was okay with them being among him, and he knew they were there. This lukewarmness had bred corruption, not only that was manifest in, in what took place in Shechem, but it was by idolatry in the home. He said, be clean and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Yet again, God's protecting him. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him which he fled from the face of, when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padan Aram and blessed him. Quick question. Why is he blessing him? Has Jacob made some errors along the way? Why is he blessing him? Because God is gracious. God keeps his word. And in the obedience to God comes the blessing. Verse 10, And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob. But Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon. He poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. You know what happens? God says, you stopped short. And in stopping short, Jacob got distant from the Lord. In, not, in stopping what he knew to be the will of God. If we walk in the light, First John says, we saw it in Sunday school, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. When Jacob bought some land and pitched a tent in Shechem, he got out of fellowship with God. In the, in the land of, of complacency and of indifference and lukewarmness, idolatry is bred, corruption is bred, and nothing will cleanse it outside of stepping in obedience again. When you take the step of obedience God has put in front of you, you're going to say, to do that, I've got to get some things clean. There's some things in my life that have got to go. There's some thoughts, there's some attitudes, there's some conduct, there's some things that I love more than God, and they've got to go. That's what it takes to get drawn out of God and he will draw nigh to you. But before that says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so Jacob's completion, number one, the word of God was revealed to him. Worship of God was restored, not form, but fact, true worship. And the will of God was fulfilled. We find that in chapter 35. Look at verse 27. And Jacob came to Isaac his father unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were in hundred and fourscore years And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. How many times are we content with having obeyed God to a point? 
we can look back and say, obviously God's changed me. I've seen some victories. I've made many steps of obedience. But this is as far as I'm going. I'm happy right where I'm at. It never ends well like that. You know what? How many of you as parents would be okay with giving your children four tasks? Say, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and then finally I want you to do this. And they come to you and you say, did you do what I told you? Yes, sir, I did. Did you do this? Yes. Truth. Did you do this? Yes. Let's say they did three out of the four tasks. Did you do what I told you? Yes. You get to task number four and say, did you do that? No. Are they an obedient child at that point? No. And so it's a broad application, but I trust that the Holy Spirit of God is able to make it very precise. We're his children, and where we are in our Christian walk is different. Some have been saved a little while, some longer. But the fact of the matter is, he did not save us to rot and cheek him. He saved us to do his will. That's the way of Christ, is it not? Whom he did foreknow, he, all, he, did, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What did Jesus say? I do always those things that please him. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ did not stop in the garden and say, you know, I've obeyed my father 100% of the time all the way up to this garden of Gethsemane. And now instead of taking a cross, I'm going to build a tabernacle and we're just going to live here in the garden and have prayer services. I'm glad he finished the job, aren't you? May I say this? If you're saved this morning, God's not going to stop short of working in your life. He is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. My question is, where are we? Where are we at? Are we fleeing from Esau? I believe every person in this room that's safe fits somewhere. Are we running from Esau? God would have us to get a clear comprehension of the salvation he's given us and that his goodness toward us is based upon his faithfulness and not on ours. We need to be faithful because he's faithful. Jacob didn't have to live in fear. He lived in fear of Esau. He lived in fear of Laban. But he learned to overcome that fear by what? Faith. God said, go. He said, I trust God enough to do what he says. When did Jacob have the fear return? When he quit operating by faith and he started operating in the flesh. This is a nice place. I like where I'm at. I think I'll stay here, even though this is not where God told me to be. And this morning, you could be living with Laban, maybe feeling like the world's got its hooks in you and won't let you go. Just obey God. It'll release you from the world's grip. It can't hold you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. If, you, know, he, you should know the truth. The truth will make you free. You may be on your way back saying, no, 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 the world doesn't have its grip in me anymore. I've dealt with my flesh, my Esau. No, not. Careful, careful. It's still our job to fulfill the will of God and not grow complacent. Am I at that place of compliance or complacency? And if they're complacency, you know what? Then let's take the step of obedience that he's put in front of us. If you're running from the world and running from your flesh, no need. You're in Christ Jesus. He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Mm-hmm.